Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. Dr. Casey Grover here, back again as your host. I've been a bit slow on making new episodes recently as I just had shoulder surgery. I actually have a new respect for surgery as it was quite a bit more painful than I expected, but I am now a little over a week out after surgery and off all medications, including acetaminophen and ibuprofen, and I am slowly on the mend, so I wanted to get back and get another episode out. So, on to today's topic, gabapentin for cannabis dependence. I was working the week before my surgery, and I saw a patient whose chief complaint was anxiety and depression. He was literally sobbing in his emergency department room when I went in to see him. And it took me a little bit of time to get the full history from him. For the sake of this podcast, I'll keep it brief. The key details were that he had a history of anxiety, which he had been managing on his own with cannabis. After a breakup with his girlfriend, he was feeling more anxiety along with some new feelings of depression. And I also found out after the breakup, he had decided to stop his cannabis use cold turkey. He had been using cannabis in the form of smoking four times per day for several years prior to this cessation related to the breakup. So in my mind, I was thinking, what was going on? Was it an exacerbation of his chronic anxiety? Was it some adjustment disorder after a breakup with a girlfriend? Was it cannabis dependence and withdrawal? And in reality, it was probably all of the above. I treated him with oral gabapentin and hydroxyzine in the emergency department. And when I reassessed him, he reported significant reduction in his symptoms of anxiety and depression after receiving those doses in the emergency department. I referred him to outpatient behavioral health for follow-up, and I provided a discharge prescription for gabapentin and hydroxyzine. You might be asking why I chose those medications for him. The hydroxyzine is easy. It's my favorite non-benzo medication for anxiety, and it's probably 95 plus percent of what I prescribe for anxiety. But gabapentin, that's more of an interesting choice. When I was researching episode three of this podcast on cannabis withdrawal, I briefly researched medications for cannabis dependence and also withdrawal, and my brief research showed that gabapentin stood out as the best choice as far as medications for cannabis dependence, but I didn't really go much further than that. So I felt it was time to dig deeper into this topic of gabapentin for cannabis dependence. As always, we'll be keeping things evidence-based, and we'll be reviewing two papers today. The first paper is called Use of Gabapentin in the Treatment of Substance Use and Psychiatric Disorders, a Systematic Review. It's from the journal Frontiers in Psychiatry, and the lead author is Saeed Ahmed, published in 2019. 
The article starts by providing the background on gabapentin. The FDA first licensed gabapentin in 1993 as an adjunctive treatment for partial seizures, and it was subsequently discovered that gabapentin has analgesic properties and was licensed by the FDA in 2002 for the treatment of post-herpetic neuralgia. It has been used to treat various medical and psychiatric conditions such as fibromyalgia, chronic pain syndromes, and migraine headaches, and it's extensively prescribed off-label for various psychiatric disorders. It is in the gabapentinoid class of medications, which are used as anticonvulsants, analgesics, and anxiolytics. The authors here in this article move on to gabapentin pharmacology, and they highlight the following points. Gabapentin is a structural analog of gamma immunobutyric acid, or GABA. It, interestingly, demonstrates little or no interaction with GABA receptors. Its actual mechanism of action as an anticonvulsant and therapeutically for neuropathy is unknown, which I actually didn't know. However, in in vitro human and rat studies, gabapentin was found to increase GABA biosynthesis and to increase non-synaptic GABA neurotransmission. And just to review, GABA again, gamma aminobutyric acid, is the major inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. Gabapentin is eliminated unchanged by renal excretion, so we must use it with caution in patients with renal disease. And in reading that, there's not a lot of information there that helps me understand why this medication would be used in cannabis dependence specifically. The authors describe the methods of this first paper, which was a systematic review of all articles in electronic databases up to November of 2018. They used a series of search strategies looking for evidence of gabapentin in various mental health conditions and substance use disorders. And the authors actually do a great job reviewing the literature on gabapentin for various conditions. So if you're interested, please check out the paper. It's a free full text on PubMed. Now, fast forward to the section on gabapentin for cannabis dependence. The authors reviewed several articles and highlighted the following points. There has been a significant increase in the prevalence of marijuana use observed for the past several decades across demographic subgroups. Cannabis use is associated with cognitive impairment, increased risk for psychotic disorders and other mental health problems, lower education attainment, and unemployment. The following psychotherapy interventions have shown efficacy in treating cannabis use and dependence. Motivational enhancement therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and contingency management. And the authors report that studies on pharmacologic treatment for cannabis use disorder have not shown any clear benefit with one exception. And that exception is an article from 2012 by Mason et al. And they note that the 2012 Mason study was able to show some evidence in support of gabapentin's efficacy in treating cannabis dependence and withdrawal. So the authors summarize at the end of this review article by saying, quote, gabapentin may be effective as a monotherapy in treating cannabis dependence, end quote. So my take-home point from this first article is that there is limited evidence that gabapentin works for cannabis dependence. 
worth learning more about and maybe trying out in my practice, but not anywhere near standard accepted therapy. And that brings us to the second article in this podcast, which is the 2012 Mason article that showed efficacy for gabapentin in cannabis dependence. And here are the full details of this second article. The title is A Proof of Concept Randomized Controlled Study of Gabapentin Effects on Cannabis Use, Withdrawal, and Executive Function Deficits in Cannabis-Dependent Adults. It's from the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. The lead author is Barbara Mason, and it was published in 2012. The authors, in introducing their study, start with some background. In those people who have used cannabis in the last year, 10% are estimated to have cannabis use disorder based on DSM criteria. We do not yet have any FDA-approved treatment for cannabis use disorder. Because of the long half-life of the psychoactive compounds in cannabis, withdrawal symptoms can last for weeks or even up to months after cessation of cannabis use. Furthermore, heavy cannabis use has been found to alter prefrontal brain activity and impair executive function. So patients with cannabis use disorder have impaired impulse control and processing of complex information. And this, unfortunately, can actually reduce the efficacy of psychotherapy for cannabis use disorder. And finally, the authors note that no medications to date have shown efficacy for cannabis use disorder. The authors continue into the next section of their introduction to discuss why gabapentin may be able to help in patients with cannabis dependence. There is some evidence that gabapentin can normalize GABA activation in the amygdala. Just a reminder, GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. In alcohol withdrawal, there is overactivation of the central nucleus of the amygdala, which is, given the role of the amygdala, a state with high anxiety and stress. The authors hypothesize that cannabis withdrawal would have a similar mechanism. And, since gabapentin can normalize GABA activation in the amygdala to reduce symptoms of alcohol withdrawal, well, then it probably should work for cannabis withdrawal too. The authors also note that gabapentin can reduce cravings and improve disrupted sleep, both of which are major problems with cannabis withdrawal. So gabapentin, the authors also hypothesize, should work here too. So, based on these two proposed mechanisms for how gabapentin would help with cannabis dependence, the authors make the following hypotheses. Quote, We hypothesized that gabapentin would significantly, one, decrease cannabis use, two, reduce cannabis withdrawal symptoms, including those involving sleep, affect, and craving, and three, improve cannabis-related physical, psychological, social, and functioning problems, as well as deficits in cognitive executive function compared with placebo, end quote. So hearing the two proposed mechanisms, I now more understand why gabapentin is likely to be helpful with cannabis dependence. So on to the study methods. 
The study was a 12-week randomized placebo-controlled clinical trial. They recruited unpaid volunteers with cannabis dependence. And I'm not making this up. They ran internet ads to recruit participants in 2006 through 2008 that said, quote, smoking too much pot? We want to help you stop, end quote. Participants were ages 18 to 65 and met criteria for cannabis use disorder based on DSM-4 criteria and didn't have a few pre-specified exclusion criteria like serious mental illness or addiction to another substance in addition to cannabis. They randomly assigned patients to gabapentin at 1,200 milligrams daily or placebo, and dosing was as follows for the gabapentin. Day one, one 300 milligram capsule in the evening. Day two, one 300 milligram capsule in the morning and evening. Day three, one 300 milligram capsule in the morning at midday in the evening. Day four, one 300 milligram capsule in the morning and at midday, and two 300 milligram capsules in the evening. Subjects maintained the 1200 milligram per day dosing regimen until week 11 of the study. They titrated down the gabapentin during the 12th week, so they were off the drug by the end of the study at the end of week 12, and basically they reversed the initial titration up. They did the initial titration backwards to titrate them off of the drug. On to measurements. So how did they measure the efficacy of gabapentin here? Well, they had weekly visits for both the gabapentin group and the placebo group, and they assessed cannabis withdrawal at these visits. They assessed withdrawal via the marijuana withdrawal checklist. They also assessed physical, psychological, social, and functioning problems related to cannabis use. And they also monitored for adverse effects of treatment. In addition to the weekly sessions, they provided both groups with counseling to assist in the treatment of their cannabis use disorder. Participants from both groups could also attend self-help groups or psychosocial therapies as they desired. And the primary endpoint of the study was basically grams of marijuana smoked per week and THC metabolite concentrations in the urine on weekly toxicologic testing. Secondary outcomes were the number of days per week of marijuana use and the weekly return to marijuana use after stopping, meaning how often did people have a period of abstinence and then restarted. What were the results? Well, they were able to get 50 patients to enter the study after a long recruitment period. There were no significant differences between the placebo group and the gabapentin group in terms of age, ethnicity, or history and intensity of cannabis use. So basically, at baseline, the two groups, gabapentin and placebo, were the same. Overall, when you're looking at all 50 participants, they were 88% male with a mean age of 34. The average years of daily cannabis use was 11.6, and the baseline grams per week of cannabis used was 11. When the authors compared the placebo group to the gabapentin group over 12 weeks, Gabapentin had multiple significant effects in decreasing marijuana use over placebo. Gabapentin reduced the grams of marijuana smoked per week over placebo. 
gabapentin reduced the amount of THC detected in urine tox screens weekly over placebo. Gabapentin reduced the number of days of marijuana per week over placebo. And gabapentin reduced the number of instances of return to marijuana use per week over placebo. And basically the authors plotted the curve showing the decrease in cannabis use over the 12-week period for both the gabapentin group and the placebo group, and overall the shape of the curves plotting the reduction of marijuana use over the 12 weeks looked similar, but the gabapentin curve was below the placebo curve as far as the amount of cannabis used and detected in the urine. And the way I interpret this is that if you enroll people in a formalized program to treat cannabis use, it works. But when you add gabapentin, it works even better. In terms of withdrawal, those in the gabapentin group experienced significant reductions in both the acute symptoms of withdrawal as well as the more commonly persistent symptoms of withdrawal involving mood, craving, and sleep. In terms of consequences of use, the gabapentin group, but not the placebo group, showed significant reductions from baseline to the end of treatment in terms of problems related to marijuana. Reductions were greatest for psychological problems and physical problems. In looking at safety and side effects, gabapentin was well tolerated and without significant side effects. There were no deaths and no serious drug-related adverse events. And lastly, looking at compliance. Mean rate of medication compliance defined by the number of pills taken divided by the number prescribed was identical across treatment groups and the rate of study completion and average time on study did not differ between the treatment groups. So basically people stayed in the treatment program equally no matter if they were in the gabapentin group or the placebo group. And I wish I could give you some percentages and better numbers, but the authors actually present most of this data graphically. So you may find it easier to look this study up on PubMed to get a better sense of the data. And it's a free full access article. The authors summarize their findings with the following statements, quote, our study provides preliminary evidence that gabapentin A was associated with less marijuana use compared with placebo in a sample of unpaid, treatment-seeking, community-dwelling volunteers with cannabis dependence evaluated over a period of 12 weeks. B was found to attenuate withdrawal symptoms, including craving and disturbances in mood and sleep, and C was associated with greater overall improvement in marijuana-related problems and in tasks related to neurocognitive executive functioning compared with placebo. Counseling alone resulted in less effective treatment of cannabis use and withdrawal and no improvement in executive function or marijuana-related problems. The beneficial effects of gabapentin were obtained with an acceptable safety profile, end quote. So that's certainly some pretty good data to support gabapentin in cannabis dependence. Now, let's look at the limitations of this study, and there are two big ones. The first is, it was small, only 50 people, so that's 25 in each group, gabapentin and placebo. But because their results were significant, it suggests a very large effect size. 
The other limitation is that gabapentin was given as a single fixed dose and there may be more benefit at higher dosages. So what is my take home point for this paper? This small study showed a clear benefit for the use of gabapentin for cannabis use disorder, including reducing symptoms of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. Since there's really no other medication option, I will be offering this to patients with cannabis dependence or withdrawal with the caveat that it's not exhaustively been studied, but it's the best we've got. And it's also important to note in this study that gabapentin wasn't the only intervention. These patients also received counseling and could participate in self-help groups. One more thing before we close, a bit of a bonus. I did want to search more of the literature after 2018 to see if there were some additional studies that I should be reviewing. And I found a Cochrane review from 2019 on the topic of pharmacotherapies for cannabis dependence. The lead author was Suzanne Nielsen, and the title of the article was Pharmacotherapies for Cannabis Dependence. And I'll keep this very brief. Here is their Cochrane Review Summary on Gabapentin for Cannabis Dependence. Quote, the evidence base for the anticonvulsant gabapentin is weak, but worth further investigation, end quote. So once again, not great evidence for gabapentin for cannabis dependence here, but it seems to be the only medication and is the best we've got to date for treating cannabis dependence with pharmacotherapy. All right, take home points to wrap things up for us. Number one, the available evidence in the scientific literature on medication to treat cannabis dependence is minimal. Number two, there is one small randomized controlled trial that showed a clear benefit for the use of gabapentin for cannabis use disorder, including reducing symptoms of cannabis withdrawal syndrome. In the study, they used gabapentin 1,200 milligrams daily with a slow taper up to that dose over the first week of therapy and a slow taper off of that dose during the last week of therapy. Number three, gabapentin appears at this time to be a reasonable option to offer patients with cannabis dependence, along with referrals to counseling or a treatment program to help with a reduction and or cessation of cannabis use and to decrease withdrawal symptoms from cannabis cessation. And that's all we've got for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.